and that you are here. We wouldn't have to look far to see very clearly today that a number of our church family are not present. And as their pastor, I want to appeal to you to pray for them, some of them at home battling sickness, but some of them are hospitalized and battling sickness. So could you please remember those in prayer? And we're going to do so at the close of today's service. I tell you, I miss Brother Buddy's voice in the house of God today. Amen. Brother Buddy always greets us with, I'm blessed by the best. Amen. And it seems that it's the highlight of his week to be able to be in the house of God. He suffered a little setback in an accident this week. So I encourage you to please pray for him. All the others who are not with us today. Are you ready to receive the word of God today? Come on, amen. Are you ready? Stand with me all over the building as we look to the word of the Lord together. Found in Joshua chapter number 1, verses 10 through 18. Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. We stated on last Sunday as we embarked upon the challenges of a new year that we had intently sought the Lord. Amen. We believe that this is where he has led our hearts. and We want to attempt today to minister into your presence. Anybody remember what we talked about on last Sunday? Amen. And how that Joshua received that commission, that call as the successor of the great man of God, Moses. But one of the things that God encouraged the nation of Israel to do was to get up. And get moving. Amen? Get up and get moving. So today we kind of want to continue in uh, that thought. Joshua 1 verses 10 through 18. The word of the Lord reads, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan. To go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on the side, this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. 
And whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you most importantly for your son. We thank you for your word. Father God, that has left us examples of the interaction between you and your people throughout the generations. Now, Lord of heaven, we summon you today and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that will enable us, Lord, to minister this word effectively into the lives of your people. Go before us as you did them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You might be seated in so doing. You ought to look at three or four people say, get ready. Get ready. Get ready. It's time. Amen. We talked about superheroes. I, th I thought I would stick with a Disney theme this week. We, thought we talked about Avengers last week. So I, I asked my grandson this week, had he ever seen The Lion King? They ought to learn the phrase Hakuna Matata. It means no worries. You know at a little age, they are just all little mini recorders. And they retain everything you tell them. Amen. So in so doing, he said he watched it that same night and, and told me the next morning, Papa, Hakuna Matata. I said, well, praise the Lord. And it means no worries. How many of you know that in Jesus we don't have worries? How many of you know that the wise man Solomon told us that that was vanity? It didn't produce anything. Am I right, somebody? Amen? So get ready, get ready, get ready. We understand that Israel's period or time of wandering had ended. Amen. We know that through extensive study of the Bible that it would have taken them in the shortest route 11 days to reach the promised land. However, it took them 40 years. I won't go into the reasons why we know that that rambling or that roaming or that moving from place to place without a fixed plan, that God was doing some things in the lives of his children during that 40-year span. Am I right? Amen. God was making them ready to inherit the land of promise. You know that earlier they sent out 12 spies to view the land. They sent out 12 spies to view this land. And the reality is, is that only two came back with the mindset that we're able to take the land which God has given us. You know sometimes the majority ain't always right. So there were ten versus two. But we know that the two were right. Now it's nearly 38 years later, due to disobedience and unbelief, that the children of Israel find themselves under new leadership, who is the great man of God, Joshua, and they're making preparations. They're getting ready. They're planning. They're, 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 they're training and all those things that are involved with preparation. Not only are they doing so to both follow Joshua's leadership, but to also enter the land of promise. Now, they were camped on the east side of Jordan. 
looking toward the fortified city of Jericho. But before they could embark on their journey, they had to carefully consider all the provisions necessary to ensure their success. I've heard it said like this, Zach, that nobody plans to fail. They fail to plan. Everybody hear that? Nobody starts out with a plan to fail, but in so doing, they failed to plan. Well, what are they preparing for, Pastor? Well, the first couple of verses tell us that they're preparing for physical needs. Praise the Lord. Physical needs. Preparation means something done to get ready in advance of an event or an undertaking. As we look at verses 10 and verses 11, we see that word provisions. Provisions. In the King James, it's often translated, Brother Jerry, as victuals. It's mentioned 17 times throughout the scripture with every reference connecting to food and or drink. In other words, those physical things that are going to sustain us. Those physical things that add to our life. So the man of God tells them, amen, and something we must understand is that we give thought to the fact that one generation had refused to allow God to lead them. But now God was dealing with what scholars would say is approximately two to three million people plus their livestock, which must be cared for while they're traveling. Now, don't you know that was a massive undertaking? That was a massive undertaking. If we're going to do anything in this life, we have to be strategic. We have to have a plan. If we want to be granted success, Brother Carlos, amen, we got to go in with a plan. We've got to make Preparation. You can't go to heaven unless you made preparations. Amen. Because the Bible said flesh and blood will not inhabit the kingdom of God. So what preparation must I make? Well, number one, we must become a Christian. Amen. In right standing with God in relationship. Some of y'all say, Pastor, we read this thing and the Bible said within three days you're going to cross over this Jordan. Let me just throw this in there while I'm at it. During this particular time of the year, the Jordan was in its flood stage. In other words, it was overflowing its banks. There was no place where, amen, you were going to cross it in knee deep water. It was going to be treacherous and it was going to be a massive undertaking. And this is why the man of God said, you've got to get ready. You've got to get ready ready amen now look at the bible the bible said within three days you're going to cross over this jordan i know that a lot of us would have looked at that and said well pastor in all honesty three days isn't isn't a significant amount of time to really get ready for something like this well i don't know what to tell us except that it was the only time god gave them three days get ready So there had to be some careful thought and consideration into what was packed, what was prepared that would sustain them in their journeys. Do you know that delay often causes reluctance? We say it in the sports world, if you think long, you think wrong. Help me, saints of God. 
Pastor, what is, what is reluctance? It's the lack of eagerness or the lack of willingness. Joshua immediately obeyed God when he received his orders. He was not reluctant. He was not rebellious. He was not defiant. But he, amen, was willing. He was eager to do the things that God had instructed. Let's look at Psalms 119 and verse 60. The psalmist declares, I made haste and did not delay to keep your commands. He immediately complied. Amen. He immediately, glory to God, conformed. He immediately submitted or adapted uh, to the command of God. This is oftentimes why that we miss the Lord's blessing. Because we are delaying. We are looking for every excuse in the book not to do what God has said but amen we know that delay causes reluctance not one time did Joshua consult with flesh and blood not one time did he assemble the nation together and call them to an assembly to say what do you think we should do but brother Arbus immediately he complied with the command of God if we want to be granted amen in success we need to yield in cheerful obedience to the commands of God I want to tell you something that I pray will stick with you do you know that when God gives us an assignment, we've only got one response? Y'all real quiet. Now listen, there are a few of us here today so I can hear everybody breathe. Okay? Can I, bless you, can I bless you today and tell you that when God, Brother Harold, gives us an assignment, we only have one response? My pastor used to say, if, the, if I ask you to do something, for heaven's sake, don't tell me you need to pray about it. Anybody get that? My pastor said, I've already prayed about it, and that's why the Lord told me to ask you. Help me, somebody. So when the Lord issues us an assignment then, saints of God, we only have one option. We only have one response. And you might say, Pastor, what is that response? It is this. Glory to God, we are to release or discharge God's command with a sense of urgency. Am I right? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Everybody knows when this is. This is after the day of Pentecost. After those guys are filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right? Praise the Lord. Do you know that even preparations had to be made before they could be filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you serious? Didn't Jesus say go to Jerusalem and tarry there and wait on the Father? Isn't that what Jesus said? So preparations had to be made. What kind? Well, first of all, they had to get up and get moving. They had to get up, get moving to the place that God told them and then sit there patiently and wait on the promise. Praise the Lord. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, in other words, when God's timing was in order, he released the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And you know that fellow that was kind of always quick to speak. Sometimes his mouth got him in a lot of trouble. That was Peter. But there was a change in Peter after the Holy Ghost. Come on, saints of God, somebody help me. I said there was a change in Peter after the Holy Ghost. And the Bible said that Peter, 
amen, began to preach. And he said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, I'm going to share a little funny story with you, uh, amen, that this is a true story though. They said there were uh, some persons in one of America's crowded cities and they went to snatch somebody's purse. And when they did, the ladies shouted, Acts 2 and 38. The thief said, you better run. She said she got a 38. She shouted, Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. You missed a good place to shout, amen. This man made preparations after the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit filled his life. And he stood and preached one sermon. Repent, amen, in the name of Jesus and be baptized. And 3,000 people got saved. Wouldn't you like to have that success rate? 3,000 souls were converted that day. Why? Because Peter discharged the command of God with a sense of urgency. He got busy doing what the Lord told him to do. How is it with us today, church? Have we made those preparations? Come on, somebody. Help the preacher preach today. What we find within that text today in the book of Acts is this. We see an example of evangelical obedience. Amen evangelical comes from the Greek word evangelion it means the gospel or the good news I want to tell you something as we prepare ourselves and we wait on the Lord the Lord always delivers y'all ain't gonna help me come on as we prepare ourselves then we wait on the Lord waiting does not mean sit there and twiddle your thumbs Wait on the Lord does not mean occupy the seat of do nothing. Y'all ain't helping me. Amen. Wait on the Lord don't mean to get in the rocking chair and suck your thumb. Come on, pastor. You're preaching to us now. Then what does wait mean? Wait means to occupy a state of readiness so that when the Lord releases you that you ain't got to get ready. You already ready. Oh, my. Ain't that right, Brother Harold? If you're already ready, you won't have to get ready. Because I'm going to tell us something. When the Lord comes, if we ain't ready, we won't have time to get ready. Boy, that's good preaching. Amen? We've done everything that we physically can do in a matter. What did Paul tell the Ephesian believers when you put on the whole armor of God? He said, and having done all you can to stand Stand therefore. He didn't say sit down. Lord have mercy for the love of Jesus. He didn't say lay down. I used to tell guys that work with me, y'all ain't scared of work, y'all stand all around it. Occupy a state of readiness. Wait on the Lord. 
And then when God gives the command, you won't have to get ready. You'll already be ready. Oh, I got to move on. Got to hurry. Got to hurry. Amen. They said prepare for physical needs. In other words, pack the provisions, the victuals, what it's going to take to sustain you for three days in the crossing of the Jordan. We do realize, amen to God, as we proceed in today's text, glory to God, that the three tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they weren't going all the way to inherit lands on the other side of the Jordan. They had already appealed to Moses that they would receive their tribal allotment on the east side of Jordan. You're going to really get a kick when I tell you why. Everything glitters ain't gold. Can I bless y'all? The Bible said when Abraham and Lot dwelled together, they became so great. Their substance became so great that it was, it was no longer possible for them to dwell together. So then Abraham appealed unto Lot, you choose out the portion of land that you would desire and I'll take what's left. But what did the Bible say Lot did? The Bible said Lot looked on the plain of Sodom that it was well watered. I ain't never been able to understand this all the days of my life. Maybe you can help me, and that's this. How a cow will stick its neck through a barbed wire fence to get grass on the other side, and grass is green as a gourd under their feet. Hello? But isn't, it what, isn't this what happened? This is exactly what happened. So the second point I want to make to you is they had to get ready for obedience. They had to make preparation for obedience. Not only preparations for physical needs, now they had to make preparation for obedience. Listen to the great Billy Graham. Things don't always work out the way we plan. But if we commit our way to Christ and walk in obedience to Him, we discover His plans are always better. Now you really missed a good place to give God praise right there. We are so selfish at times that we only see things we want to see. But God's plan is always greater than ours. Amen? Preparation for obedience. I had to come with two definitions on this one. Because obedience is compliance with an order, a request, a law. It's also considered as submission to another's authority, to obey or obedience. But the biblical definition goes much further. Let me share it with you. The biblical definition of obedience is to hear, to trust, to submit, to surrender to God and His Word. Come on, that's deeper, isn't it? Lord, not only am I going to hear, I'm going to trust, I'm going to submit, and I'm going to surrender unto you and your word. Look at verses 12 through 15 in the text. 12 through 15. And the Bible tells us these three tribes, Joshua spoke directly to them. Did he not? He said, now I need you to remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord your God's giving you rest and is giving you this land. Where were they standing? On the east side of the Jordan. They hadn't crossed yet. They're standing on the east side. You know, where the sun rises. Sun rises in the east, sets in the west. He says, your wives, your little ones, your livestock, all that, they're going to remain in, in this land. 
which Moses gave you on this side. But you're going to pass before your brethren in arms and your mighty men of valor. You're going to help them. Until the Lord has given you rest. Amen. He's going to give your brethren rest. And when they take possession of the land which the Lord God has given them, then you'll return to the land of your possession and enjoy it. Are you getting the point? They had to prepare themselves for obedience. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh wanted their tribal allotment to consist of the land they had already conquered. Go to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers 32. This is the story. Okay? This is where the story of the half-tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, made their appeal unto Moses. Hey, we got a lot of livestock. We got a lot of cattle. You know, we, I mean... We have already surveyed the land, Zach, and, and, and they said this parcel of property right here, it's good, graze, it's good grazing ground. Amen? Remember I told you everything you see, ain't everything glitters ain't gold. Now a lot of us, Brother Marty, would look at this passage of Scripture and say, hey, they're trying to cop out. Just like Moses did. Moses thought in Numbers chapter 32, Brother Larry, that they were actually trying to avoid helping the others fight for their land and tribal allotment across the Jordan. But guess what? Moses jumped to the wrong conclusion. Can that happen to us at times? We're humans, aren't we? We can jump to the wrong conclusion. Look at Numbers chapter 32, verses 6 and 7. Numbers 32, 6 and 7. And Moses said to the children of Gad, the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? This is after they made their appeal to Moses, right? Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? So Moses wrapped his mind around the idea, Brother Jerry, that if you refuse to go and to help your brothers, you're going to sow discord and you're going to sow discouragement among the remaining tribes. Isn't that right? This is true. Moses feared that these tribes and their desires would cause everybody else to be discouraged. But that was not the case. Same chapter, verse number 16 through 19, Numbers 32. Then they came near to him and they said, okay, here's what they said. Brother Mitch, they said, Moses, here's what we're going to do. We're going to promise. Anybody ever made God a promise? Anybody ever pledged anything? Anybody ever vowed anything to God? I have seen countless people on their face before the Lord in the altar of God. And they were saying over and over and over, Lord, if you save me, I'll serve you. Come on, somebody. Lord, if you save me, I'll serve you. That was a, a promise. So these three tribes committed to send their fighting men. He said, they came to him and said, we'll build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed. Somebody say ready. Ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place 
And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. Huh? What are they telling Moses? Moses, we're going we're gonna to go with you. But we're going to leave the wives, the children, and the livestock behind. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received the inheritance or his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond. Because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of the Jordan. Are you getting the picture now? You see why Moses jumped the gun? But they made a vow. They promised. Come on, y'all. They said, we're going to go with you. Our fighting men are going to go before you until the land is subdued and Israel's enemies are driven out. There's only one problem I had with those three tribes. You say, what were they? They lived in the present and not the future. They lived in the present and not the future. Some of you say, Pastor, what's wrong with that? Well, I mean, if you choose to live life that way, there's nothing wrong with that. Sadly, today, many people choose to live in mediocrity. They want to live in mediocrity. Say, can you break that down for me? Absolutely. Settling for less than the best. Settling for less than the best. Mediocre is defined as neither good or bad, just barely adequate. Now, if I were to ask you the question, how many of you want to live a life that's just barely adequate? I didn't think so. Especially when God said, I'll make you the head and not the tail. Especially when God said, I'll make you the lender and not the borrower. Especially when God said, I'll bless you in your uprising and when you lay down. Help me somebody. Especially when God said, I'll bless you when you go out and when you return. So who wants to live a life of mediocrity now? Oh, my somebody. I just wonder here today, has anybody ever made an agreement with the Lord? Anybody ever made an agreement with God? We're humans. I'm sure we have. Honey, let's go to Ecclesiastes 5 and 5. Ecclesiastes verses 5 and 5. Remember I talked about a, a promise, a pledge, or a vow? Listen what the wise man tells us. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Pastor, can you tell me what that really means? Yeah, don't make foolish promises to God. Are you serious? Don't make foolish promises to God. Although you, amen, and I understand that vows are made voluntarily, God doesn't take them lightly. So we need to give careful thought and thorough consideration to what vow or promise or pledge we are making to God. Y'all real quiet now. I guarantee you the next time we tell the Lord, I promise we're going to give it a lot of thought. You understand why? Because God's plan for obedience and the value that God places on obedience is unrivaled. Isn't that right? Didn't he tell the first king that the people, did, amen, the people desired? Didn't he tell... Saul, that obedience is better than sacrifice. So, Pastor, are you telling me today that God values 
obedience? Really? Yes, God values obedience. I mean, tremendously, God values obedience. So the sum of Ecclesiastes 5 and 5, give careful thought and thorough consideration before you make a promise, a vow, a pledge, or commitment to God. Because once you do, you're not taking it back. You're not taking it back. Once you make a vow, it becomes unbreakable. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. You say, what value does God place on obedience? The value that God places on obedience is that obedience proves our love to God. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Is this the value of obedience? Absolutely. It proves, it proves that we love God. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. What else does the value of obedience demonstrate, Pastor? Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Oh my. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Amen. You say, Pastor, then what does that mean? It demonstrates our faithfulness in obedience unto the Lord. That's what it does. Obedience is critical, saints of God, with the Lord. Let's look at 1 Peter 2 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. What's Peter telling us? Peter is simply telling us, amen, that our obedience to God glorifies Him in the world. Yeah, it glorifies God in the world. What did he say? When they see Amen. Those good works in you. They glorify God. My cousin Beattie used to sing a song, May the works I've done speak for me. Amen. So when the world sees our allegiance to God's obedience, our commitment to obey Him, they glorify Him in the world. Let's look at John chapter 13 and verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So what does obedience to God do? It opens the avenues of blessings for us as His beloved children. Because in so knowing to do those things, praise God, Brother Anthony, it does what? It shows that we belong to Him. They got to prepare, Brother Harold. 
Do you know that Jesus said in the discourse of Scripture in Luke chapter number 14, starting at verse 28, amen, and going through verses 30, I'm going to throw this one in for free. Jesus said, no man builds a house except he first count the cost. When I see that, what do I think? I think about get ready, get ready, get ready. I think about preparation. I think about all the necessary steps and the bases that I've got to cover before I even launch out on a massive undertaking because if I don't, I'm going to find myself operating in the red. Too many of us as Christians today operating in the red. I'm going to preach this while I'm here. Too many of us live in mediocrity. Amen. Too many of us living a life that's less than the best. I don't know about you, but I love me. Do you love you? Come on, that's not a trick question. Don't be ashamed to answer it. Do you love yourself? Of course you do. And if you love yourself, why would you settle for anything less than the best that God has planned for you? Amen. Move beyond mediocrity. Live a life in obedience unto God. Those three tribes said, no, 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 don't get the wrong idea. We're going to go with you. As a matter of fact, we're going to go all the way with you. We're going to the point that every enemy of the nation of Israel are going to be subdued and every tribe will inherit their allotment. Amen. And then after that happens, we're going to return to the land that was given to us and we're going to enjoy, amen, our wives and our little ones. That was a tremendous sacrifice, wasn't it? Tremendous, but they were living in the present. They were looking at that good grazing land for that cattle. And they said, you know what? We've already conquered this land. We'll stay right here. You say, Pastor, that's both good and bad. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Do you know that when they sent those 12 spies out, they brought a tag of grapes back so big they had to put them on a pole? And some of those guys said, yeah, we've seen the inhabitants of that land. And man, they're so big, Sister Pat, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. But Joshua and Caleb, <laughs> Joshua and Caleb, amen, they had a different kind of spirit. Are y'all listening to me? Don't you want to be that person of God that has a different kind of spirit? Don't you want to be the saint of God that says, amen, I'm not going to live in mediocrity, but I'm going to live a life that flourishes in the blessings of the Lord my God. And I'm going to live a life in obedience that the world will glorify him when they see the things that he's doing in my life. Praise the Lord, somebody. Then lastly, he said, you got to get ready for victory. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Hallelujah. Prepare for victory. We said that preparation involves something that's done in advance to get ready for an event or an undertaking. Victory is success in a competition. Okay? That's Merriam-Webster's definition. But what does the Bible say about victory? Amen. I had to go double dipping on you on this one because the Bible says that victory for us is the overcoming of an enemy or an antagonist. Is the devil not an antagonist? He's one that strongly opposes us as the children of God. I can tell you one thing. If you're not doing anything to advance the kingdom, you, 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 know, you have no idea who Satan is. 
But the very moment you rise every day with the joy of the Lord in your heart. And you're ready. Amen. To strike fear and all. Amen. All of hell itself. Then you know. You know. That the enemy is against you. You know he's in opposition to you. Oh my. Let's look at verses 16 through 18 in today's text. Verses 16 through 18. So they answered Joshua. Saying, all you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your command does not heed your words. And all that you command him, he's going to be what? Put to death. He's going to die. All because he refused to heed your words. Only be strong and of good courage. Can I help you here? Do you know what one of the strongest tests of leadership is? To know who's on your side. Am I getting through to anybody? Didn't Peter tell Jesus, Lord, I won't suffer you to be put to death? Didn't Peter tell Jesus, it's not going to happen? Y'all remember that passage of scripture? And Jesus said to Peter, what? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savest the things of men and not of God. So one of the true tests of leadership is to know who's on your side. If I'm going to go to war, Brother Arvis, I want to know who's on my side. I don't want to walk too far out in front of them lest they'd stab me in the back. Are y'all getting this? So one of the truest tests of leadership is to find out who's on your side. Who's supporting you. You know what Joshua knew from this discourse of scripture? Joshua knew who was in his corner. Joshua knew, judging from their response, amen, Joshua knew. In other words, it confirmed that the mantle of leadership was passed from Moses unto Joshua. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because in those verses, their response was, we will do and we will go. Isn't that right? We said this last week, it bears repeating, not everybody with you is for you. Oh my, I'm just telling y'all so you don't let it happen here. But I've seen it happen in a lot of other places. Where folks pull up to the table every Sunday morning, Brother Marty, and feast off the good word of God's provision that you provide in ministry every single Sunday. But before the week's out, they're telling somebody that, amen, you're not as effective as you. They're telling somebody maybe it's your time to go. Are you with me? So one of the truest tests of leadership is to know who's on your side. To know who's in your corner. Joshua was a wise man. He knew musicians are coming. I got to preach this while I'm here. Amen. This was confirmation again that the mantle of leadership. Moses died. It is now passed. From Moses 
to Joshua. Don't you think it was reassuring? Don't you think it was reassuring to Joshua? A person who had given the nation so much encouragement and so much hope. Don't you think it was reassuring for him on the journey? All too often what we see is an ugly word that I don't like to use. It's called insubordination. I had a gentleman stand right here in this sanctuary yesterday morning and tell me one of the largest churches in the county was presenting two agendas right now. He said they're split right down the middle right now. I want to tell you something, saints. That is not of God. That is not of God. That is man promoting his own agenda and saying that he has God's backing. We need to be careful what we say that God said. Come on, saints of God. We need to be careful. Insubordination. Defying authority. A a, a group of people that are unruly. I remember when the Lord blessed us to first lead this church. There was a surprise planned. I didn't know anything about it. And we passed a neighboring church and I saw some of my folks coming out weeping, crying. Some of y'all say, Pastor, I don't know know if it's appropriate to be talking about this or not. I want to tell you it is appropriate. Because in that instant, what the leadership of that church said was permissible or allowable, then somebody else overrode them. Y'all listening? And then ultimately they they said to a party of our church that appealed to them for the use of their facilities. They said, I don't care what our preacher told you. He don't run nothing here. They said, all we, all we do is pay him to preach. But I want to tell you what a true servant of God is concerned about. He ain't concerned about the income. He's concerned about the outcome. Y'all quiet now. Y'all, y'all, y'all real quiet. Well, 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 listen, he ain't running nothing here. It's what we pay him to do is to preach. I said several weeks ago I was not akin to Balaam in no way, shape, or form. That pagan prophet that they paid to curse the nation of Israel. I'm no kin to him. And I want to say to you at Harvest Church today, amen, it don't matter about the income. It don't matter what you paid. What matters is what comes out of your contribution to the kingdom. That's what matters. Now give the Lord praise. Yeah. One of the greatest acts of insubordination is found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6 and verse 16. This is a nation of Judah. You know Jeremiah, that prophet that God called from his mother's womb. Yeah. Judah was in a bad place, Harold. Are you listening? The nation of Judah, Brother Ernie, was in a bad place. And God raised up this prophet to prophesy to them. He said, hey, you're getting ready to go into captivity. You're getting ready to go into exile. He cried when he saw the impending doom of his people. Thank God for preachers that'll cry over the condition of the church. Thank God 
for saints of God who will cry over the condition of our lost world. Thank God somebody still got a burden for the lost. Jeremiah cried when he saw the future fate of his people. Listen what it said in 6 and 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand in the old ways and see. Ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Holy Ghost, help me. Whoo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. That is one of the largest acts of insubordination that we will find in the scriptures. You say, preacher, what you mean? In spite of the fact that the nation of Judah was in a bad place, there was still victory available. Are y'all listening to me? There was still victory available. Why are you telling us this, preacher? You might be in a bad way today. You may find yourself, amen, as we, as we don the old cliche between a rock and a hard place. But I want to assure you today that there's victory still available. There's victory, Brother Larry, still available for us as the people of God. What God was doing was offering His life-saving wisdom. God said, you've got to get ready to receive. You've got to position yourself to receive. The prophet said, look for the old path. And Brother Anthony, when you find them, then walk therein. And you're going to find rest for your weary soul. If I had a megaphone that would reach the whole world, I would love to stand on top of Mount Everest and tell the world today, you better turn around. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. Whoa, you're going the wrong way. Better turn to Jesus. Why you got a chance? You want to live a life of victory, a life that honors God? You better look for the old path. And when you find it, you better walk therein. When you do, you're going to find rest for your weary soul. Isn't that right? The Lord said, if you don't believe me, just stand in it and see. Just walk in it and see. Can I tell you what the key to victory is? The key to victory is preparation. Am I right, somebody? You want to receive the blessing of God? You got to get ready, Joe. Amen. If you want to receive the best that God has for you, you got to get ready. How many of us know in the state we're in right now, we ain't ready to receive the best of God. So we've got to position ourselves. Brother Ernie, we got to make preparations. We got to get ready. Come on, saints of God. We got to get ready for what God is about to do. The prophet Joel said, Amen, that in the last days, God's going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Huh? Young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So in order to receive that, we got to make preparations. we got to get ready. we got to get ready. Stand with me all over the building. If you're not ready, when the trumpet of God sounds, you won't have time to get ready. Come on, somebody. Somebody said, well, preacher, I got plenty of time. I'm just going to call on the Lord. Amen. In my last breath. You don't know when that is. You have no earthly idea. You have no idea. 
So when do I need to call on the Lord? Right now. Right now while you have the time and the opportunity set before you. Now all of us said we love Jesus in this house. Isn't that right? We said we love Jesus. Joshua and the people were now ready to launch out on their conquest to the land of Canaan. How is it with us today? Are you ready? Come on, I want you to do some soul searching. I want you to ask yourself in the deepest crevices of your heart. I want you to ask yourself today, are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to stand before Him in judgment? If you're not ready, you better get ready. And I'm talking from the pulpit to the pew. If we're not ready, we better get ready. For the Lord is coming. I don't know about you and how much you parallel world events with what the Bible declares, but I declare unto you today, amen. It won't take one more thing before we can see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven. Are you listening to me, saints of God? It wouldn't take one more utterance of prophecy to be fulfilled before we could see Jesus. I witnessed to too many people in the order of God that said to me, I got plenty of time. I haven't even sown my royal oats. There's so many things that I have still yet to do. I want you to know that your very soul could be required of you at your next breath. Get ready, get ready, get ready. It's time, it's time. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Amen, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask a few gentlemen to assist me this morning. Some of our ushers aren't present. Some of you good, able-bodied men, feel led of the Lord, would you man these exits? Praise the Lord. We're going to pray. We're going to trust God. We're going to pray for those persons who aren't here that God would strengthen them. We're going to pray for those of you who are here that God would give you the wisdom to make a decision that would determine your destiny. Lord of heaven, we love you today. We thank you that you are God. We thank you that you've made that evident through the pages of your word. And we thank you today, oh Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent the best of heaven for us. You tell us in your word, you're coming again. And you're coming for those who are ready, for those who are longing for your appearing. Now help us, sovereign Lord, to position ourselves, Lord, to receive that great blessing. We know that eternal life began the moment we confessed Jesus as our Savior. But we also know, Lord, that we're going to live on somewhere in your presence throughout eternity. So now, Lord God, help us to conduct our lives in a manner so deserving that we might inherit heaven and spend all eternity with you. Touch, Lord God, every person, every home, every family that's assembled with us here today at Harvest Church. And Lord Jesus, if there is any loss, Lord, not only listening and viewing by way of social media, Father God, with these surges that are taking place in our county, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, we just pray a hedge of protection. We pray a covering, Lord Jesus, over your beloved people. And we plead today, Lord, for their salvation. We beg, oh God, for extended mercies. 
that they may come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. We love you, mighty God, and thank you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.